Welcome. I hope everyone had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. And I'm sure if you're like me, you've eaten way too much. And uh, uh, the tryptophan is still all wearing off. And apparently, and I am not a sports fan, so I'm apparently there were some major wins and some major losses last night. So I'm sure some of you were, were up celebrating or grieving last night. And um, I, I have no concern whatsoever on that. So I'm just going to stop there. I was told by three different people, how am I going to work this? And start? There's your work in. Okay, you're done. All right. So I don't care about sports. Sorry. It's just, I, I don't care. Um, we've been going through a series about the church. It, it's, it's called the church, creatively enough. We're, we're really creative in the office. But what we're studying through is what, according to the Bible, how should the church be structured? How should the church be led? What does the church do? Um, why, why do we bother? This is a lot of effort and a lot of work. Um, why? And, and so we've gone through and we've talked about several things that, that the church is here to worship and enjoy God and to lead others to do the same. So, so each individually, that's our calling. But then we come together and together we worship and enjoy God. And together we help each other, lead others to do the same. And then when it comes to the, the question of how is this church put together or structured, we've come up with a phrase that, that is not unique to us. Um, we certainly stole it many, many years ago. But we believe it's true to what the Bible says. That a church is to be elder-led, congregationally governed, and deconserved. So briefly in review, congregationally governed means the body has the ultimate responsibility in the church that each of us will be held before God as responsible for how we have acted in his church. And when there is a problem in the church, Paul, when he was writing a letter, he brought it to the church, not just to the pastors, the elders, but to the church. And so we've talked that the church is to govern its own self. We've, over the last four weeks, talked about what it means to be elder-led. And that's something that's somewhat new to us um, that, that Joe has challenged us to kind of tweak in our Constitution. And we've talked about that longer just because it is a little less familiar and a little newer to us. And today, we're going to talk about deconserved. So what does it mean to be deconserved as a congregation? And, and we took four weeks on elders. We've got one on deacons. So, you know, strap your green chair belts in here. We got to go quickly um, because I know everyone uh, wants to head out on time. But we're going to cover some of the same things that Joe did in the elder series and deacons just just a little more concisely. Um, we're not going to go into quite all the details because it, beneficially enough for us, Joe's covered most of this stuff in the elders. It's just applied a little bit differently when we come to the deacons. So we're going to ask several questions. One, what is a deacon? Um, two, who are the deacons? What, what are their qualifications? How do we know who the deacons are? And three, what do the deacons do? And we're going to try to process that through Scripture. And, and we're going to be challenged. I hope every single person here is challenged to think through this maybe more deeply, more carefully than you have before. If you're like me, um, I mean, deacons are just a given. It's, yeah, I mean, there have always been deacons in church. I've been in church since I was, you know, before I was born. Uh, there's always deacons, right? I mean, we're just familiar with them. And what I hope for us as a congregation 
is that right now the eight men, uh, Lord willing, if you, if you approve and confirm the men who've been nominated, it'll be ten next year. These ten, ten men will serve us well, but we'll understand why they're serving us well after today. That's my hope and that's my prayer. So we're going to open God's Word. I hope and pray that every one of us get a little bit out of this. And, and so just, just track with me. I think you will be challenged spiritually, personally, even talking about deacons, if you'll track with us for just a few minutes. So first thing I want to do is just a quick introduction. When Christianity came into to play, it came into a Greek and Roman world that, frankly, we'd be pretty comfortable in for the most part. We, we, didn't, we don't speak the same language, although our language is a derivative from them. But we'd be comfortable in that world. It would not look that different than our own. Great transportation system. A great communication system. Very affluent society. And there were the haves and the have-nots. There was a great divide between people who were moral and felt that that was very, very important and those who just didn't care. And those who just didn't care were winning the day. It, it would have felt comfortable. Power was extremely important, just like we see today. And when Christ came in, the God of the universe came to earth, God the Son, became flesh. He didn't come in as the emperor. He wasn't born in Rome. He was born in Bethlehem, which is a minor city of a minor province of a minor district. It was a district nobody wanted as a Roman because they were just troublemakers there. They were all crazy worshiping this God instead of all the gods that everybody knew was real. And so this baby comes in. And God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. In just a short, roughly 75 to 100 years, this little baby who came from nowhere, came from, we would have called it a podunk today. I mean, it was farm country. Had changed the entire empire and turned it upside down. And Jesus came not with glorious power just exploding, although he had it, and he could have. He came humbly as a servant. He loved people. He served them. He healed them. He taught them. And then he died for them. And that's how Christians began to live. They lived humbly. They helped each other with needs. They took abandoned babies that no one else wanted. They followed the commands of the empire as long as they didn't violate following God. When the empire hated them, they were good citizens when they had every right to rebel against that government. And it, it weirded everybody out. No one knew what to do with these Christians. That's actually where the name comes from. It, it comes from the word little Christ. It is like, who are those little, little Christ people? What are they doing over there? They were thought to be cannibals because of the Lord's Supper. We take the Lord's body and blood. They didn't understand that that was representative. And it just, people couldn't come to grips with what this meant. That a servant was the king. 
And there were two words that were used of Jesus and of Christians. The first one was the word deacon. Deacon was not some special word Christians came up with for, for what we think of as deacons. It was a common everyday word. It, it meant waiter or, or bond servant. Uh, there were several different readings, but probably the most common translation was waiter. Does anyone think of their waiter as the guy who should be in charge and should direct the terms of your life? But that's what Jesus was called. The second one was the word doulos. Um, it means slave. As a matter of fact, the passage that Joe read earlier, Jesus used of Himself. He says, I came as a slave. That's not the way things work. And so as we begin to talk about the position, the office of deacon, and we're going to get to that here in just a few minutes, we need to understand that Christianity is not a religion that comes in Guns blazing. It comes in humble-hearted, on our knees, serving and giving. So lay that as kind of the, the prerequisite to thought to come into this. And so when we come into the office of deacon, I want us to start with the place where deacons are first described. And it's in John 13. John 13. It's on page 585. If, if you don't have a Bible, grab one. We're going to look in a bunch of places here. I want you to see this stuff comes from the Scriptures. Um, we're trying to be defined by the Scriptures. So look on page 585 if you need a Bible. If you don't have one, please feel free to keep that. This is John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Joe read it before. We're going to read through it quickly. But the first thing I want us to realize, and it's in your outline there if you have it, is Jesus is our deacon. Jesus is our deacon. You ever heard of that said before? But think about it. He served us. John 13. Listen to this. Now before the feast of Passover, Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. And having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Some translations say that to the uttermost. He loved them completely. There was, there was nothing He could do to love them more. Verse 2, during the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that, his, that, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, I do not wash you. You have no share in me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he who was to betray him, that was why he said, not all of you are clean. So this night, 
the night. And, and the preface sets it up just in case you were wondering if Jesus knew exactly what was going on. So he knew everything was going on. He knew it was time to come back from the Father. He knew he was God the Son. He knew his disciples were. He knew that he had a man sitting around his table possessed by Satan himself who was going to betray him with a kiss. And his response is to take the job of a deacon to wash these men's dirty, stinky feet. Jesus served these men. Jesus served us. Not only did He wash their feet, which was considered the lowest of the low jobs, that's what you had the servant do who you didn't like to teach him a good lesson. No, I did that. That night, the sins of all of us were laid upon Him and He bore them to the cross. Philippians 2, 5-11 says this, Have this mind, which is in your... Excuse me, have this mind among yourselves. I started quoting and I need to find it here. Hold on just a second, sorry. Philippians 2.5 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, He, he was equal with God. He is God the Son. He wasn't trying to get up. There was no more ladder for him to climb. He was the top. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. A deacon. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what was Christ's greatest act of service? It's death on a cross. Death on a cross. Jesus served us by fulfilling the law for us, which we could not do, bearing our sins on the cross. And now, now today, God of the universe, God the Son, sits praying and interceding as our legal defense as we grow in Christ. Romans 8.34 says this, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That word interceding is translated praying elsewhere in the Bible. Christ Himself is praying for you. He's serving you. So we need to start by thinking about the term deacon. We need to think to Jesus. This is the picture of a deacon. If you want to know what a deacon is like, look at Christ. But that's not where the Scriptures stop. So the first one, Jesus is our deacon. The second point, lowercase d, deacons. This is every believer. That's your, in your uh, outline there. Every believer. Lowercase d deacons, every believer. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes in the Scriptures, two words are, a word is used for something general, and then it is also used for something very specific. For instance, believers are commanded to repent, right? Today, when I sinned, I need to repent. But that's not what the Bible's talking about when Jesus said, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. He meant get saved. 
So there's big R repentance that gets everything started, right? We, we repent of our sins, that, that turning point in our life where we turn to Christ for the very first time and believe for the very first time. But for me, that was almost, well, a little over 20 years ago now. But every day I repent. Every day I need to exercise my faith. So there's, there's big R repent and big B believe. And then there's little r repent and little b believe. The repentance I'm doing every day and the belief I have every day. Well, there's a big D deacon and there's a little d deacon. The little d deacon is every believer. This is every person sitting in this congregation, particularly the people who are members here at this church. Uh, flip back with me if you turn to John 13 again. I want us to finish out that passage. And I know Joe already read it once, but I, this, was, this is such a key passage. I felt like we needed to go through it twice and hear it. Um, if you're like me, you can hear something once and it, and it just flash by and you not get the full depth of it. Starting in verse 12. So after Jesus has sat down, he says this. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place with them, he said, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. We, we don't necessarily believe that's to be taken literally, that we're going around you know, scrubbing each other's feet, although some, some denominations do. But this, is, this is a command to serve one another, even at the lowest of levels. If it's cleaning someone's house when they've had surgery, if it's carrying someone because they cannot walk, whatever it is, however hard it is. Verse 15 said, For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He says a servant is not greater than his master. He, he switches words there. He uses the word doulos, the word slave. That's hard language. I don't like that word used about me. And if you're like me, you probably don't like that word used about you. But this is how the Bible says we are to consider ourselves. 1 Peter 4.10, it says it like this. As each has received a gift... In other words, God gives gifts. He talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Things like... Um, administration, things like teaching, all these things. As each have received a gift, use it to serve one another. It's the word deacon there. Use it to deacon one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So he says every single one of us are to serve, to, to wait tables for one another. That's how we're to be characterized as believers. As deacons. So in one sense, every single believer in church needs to consider themselves a deacon. But then the Bible also uses the word deacon, and we're going to switch to number three in your outline there, uppercase D deacons, an office of the church. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to, I'm going to give you a couple scriptures to jot down. Read these tonight. We're actually going to read pieces of them later. Um, Acts chapter 6. This is where the first deacons come about. We'll read part of that later. 1 Timothy 3, um, there's qualifications for elders and then deacons. 
Um, we'll actually read a few of those later as well. But turn with me to Philippians 1.1. This is the greeting to a letter, Philippians 1.1. If you have uh, one of those Bibles from the chairs, it's on page 636. Philippians 1.1. I want you to look with me because we're going to pick apart every single word of these two verses here, or this one verse. It's a very simple verse, but it becomes very, very important, especially when um, we play these words against each other, doulos and deacon. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That word servant there is doulos. They call themselves slaves. Slaves of Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ who are in Philippi, in other words, the church there in Philippi, with the overseers, that's one of the words we've talked about that's used for pastor, elder, overseer. That's the three words that go together. And deacons. He switches servant word. He goes from slave to deacon. Slave to waiter would be kind of our equivalent if we were using this language. So so let me read it just like that. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So there's the church as a whole, right? With, so this is another group, the overseers. These are the pastors, the elders, the overseers. And the deacons. You suddenly have a second group that's put together with those elders. There is actually an office of the church called deacon. And so, again, I know I'm kind of making an argument for something you'll all probably believe, but track with me because I want us to see this in the Scripture. And I also want us to see from this verse that elders are not the same as deacons. This was something that confused me to no end. You got three names for pastor, elder, overseer, and then you got deacon. I had, I had these confused when I was uh, in college and, and first starting ministry even. It didn't make sense to me why you have these three things and all of a sudden they're one office and then you've got deacons and then is this another office? What is this going on? But what the Bible presents is that there's elders and there's deacons. These are the two offices of the church. These are two groups of leaders in the church. I want to read all the way back to uh, a man. This is not Scripture. His name was Hippolytus. Um, He wrote in 215 A.D. So, about uh, a little less than 200 years after Christ died. He's talking about deacons here, and he says, He does not receive the same spirit common among the elders, which the elders share, but that which is entrusted to him. In other words, there's something different. All the way from the very beginnings of the church, they see there's there's deacons, and, and God gives them one gift of the Spirit. And then there's elders, and they have another gifting of the Holy Spirit. Um, the first 150, 200 years of Christianity, many historians have called that the era of the deacons. There were deacons listed all over. We have the, the, this person's called deacon so-and-so, deacon so-and-so, deacon so-and-so. Um, and I'll tell you about some other titles that they were given here in just a little bit. But they were doing the work of the church. Many of them were what we would call missionaries today. They were getting the work done on behalf of the church. But around 300 into about 350, we see the practices of the Roman Catholicism growing and elevating, and we see the role of deacons actually decreasing. Um, It kind of almost disappears, as a matter of fact. 
particularly as a second office as the church. But the Roman Catholic Church put in some other offices like priest um, that's not mentioned in the scriptures as an office of the church, only in the Old Testament. This became restored in the time of the Reformation. So both Calvin and Luther, the, the two major divisions of the Reformation that wrote a lot, both of them saw deacons as an office in the church. Um, Calvin was more strong on this, and probably what he said was more familiar to us. I'll actually read some Calvin here in a little bit for us. Luther said there were deacons, but they weren't as emphasized in the Lutheran church. Even to this day, they're not quite as emphasized in the Lutheran church, but they have them. So as soon as people start getting back to the Scriptures, what comes up again? Deacons. Now, how do we get to what we see across most Baptist churches today? I'm going to give you just a little bit of a very, very brief history lesson. From that time, early 1500s, to about 1643, deacons are they're just doing a few things in the church. They're not prominent. In 1643, the Church of Scotland, there is, there's kind of a, a council that gets together uh, of the churches there, the free churches there, and they put out an, a, a statement that says deacons are extremely important. And each of those churches all through Scotland, they begin to reinstate the office of deacon, and these become important people in the church. They're serving the church. They're caring for the congregation. They're meeting benevolence needs. This was always primary all the way back to the 1500s and then early in the 200s. They were meeting the benevolent needs of the church. In other words, if somebody was hungry, the deacons made sure they got fed. If somebody didn't have clothes, if there was a widow who needed care, the deacons made sure it got done. Uh, as a matter of fact, we have a list, not in the Bible, but a list from the church um, in Ephesus of over two thousand widows that the church of Ephesus provided food, housing, and care for. Deacons. That's who was doing it. This was the deacons list of widows. And they made sure every one of those ladies was taken care of. Over two thousand of them. Deacons were working hard. So we have this come across the pond here to America and, and America's a wild place, and the early congregations looked a lot like the congregations over in England. But then suddenly, we realize there's a whole other three-fourths of the continent over there, and we start spreading out. As that spread happened, the church followed. We planted churches, but these churches were usually extremely small. Not because they were unhealthy, not because they were bad, because there just weren't that many people out there. Um, this starts in Kentucky, and uh, I just watched a, a couple documentaries. It was a secular documentary talking about the expansion into Kentucky. It was because of the rivers. They could get there easy. That was one of the first areas to be pioneered. Um, that's actually where my family came, 1789. Uh, that's where the White Knack came name came into America. But there weren't that many people per acre. You had to go a ways to see your friend, to see your neighbor. So these churches are small. They can't afford to pay a pastor full-time. So it's either a bivocational pastor who's a farmer and then pastoring. That was a lot of it. That was particularly in Kentucky. That's what happened. And later, they're circuit-riding pastors. So it's a pastor, and he may have 30 churches, and he may only see those churches once or twice a year. He's traveling around, and he's shepherding all these people. He's not shepherding that many people. It's just that they're really spread out. So the deacons began 
to serve those churches. And something unhealthy happened. Instead of the deacons serving in leadership of the churches and those circuit-riding pastors or those bivocational pastors raising up elders locally who could help lead the church, there was this leadership vacuum. And the deacons, being faithful, godly people, stepped into it. That's not their biblical role. So here's where the problem lies. Suddenly, you have churches all across America with deacons leading the church and then an elder coming by to preach every so often. That steps into modernity, and all of a sudden, these little podunks all over everywhere become big cities. And the West becomes incredibly populous. Those little bitty churches grow up, keep their structure, even though they now hired pastors, or, or at least have more qualified people to serve as pastors, but they keep the structure of the deacons running the place. In Baptist life, this really began to be confronted in the 1990s. Think about that with me. I was in high school when we started saying, okay, wait a minute, what does the Bible say about this stuff? We missed it a long time. And this is not to put down godly, godly men who serve faithfully as deacons. Um, one of my grandfathers served um, over 40 years as a deacon. Most of that time as chairman of the deacons. But when we come to scriptures, the deacons are described as servants. And the elders are who leads the church. So, uppercase D deacons was restored, but then kind of got tweaked again. And since the 90s, particularly in Baptist life, I'm, I'm talking home folks here, all right? It's really come back to where elders are leading and deacons are serving. So, who are these deacons? All right, flip in your scriptures again with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 8. It's on 643 in your Bibles, if you uh, have one of those pew Bibles there. Pew Bibles, chair Bibles. So, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Joe's already preached half this passage, so we're going to skip forward to verse 8. But let me tell you what's going on says, this statement is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be the office of overseer, this is elder, he desires a noble task, and then he describes all these things that an elder is to be. All right, Joe's went over those. Most of those are the exact same words as for deacon. And so for time's sake, I'm not going to go through every one of those. I'm going to read them to you. Um, go back and listen to Joe's sermons on those to get all the details. But verse 8, deacons likewise... Pay attention to that likewise. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Deacons likewise must be dignified. In other words, they're not rebel rousers. Not double-tongued. They say what they mean, and it's the truth. Not addicted to much wine. They don't have vices that drive them um, from Christ and that would drive others from Christ. Not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise, and we're going to come back to those words here in just a minute, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children, their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith 
that is in Christ Jesus. So here's the qualifications of a deacon. We've read through those. I want to point out just a couple things. First, deacons are godly examples of normal Christian character. Joe pointed out in the sermon a couple weeks ago, what are the qualifications for an elder? They're a Christian who can teach. But they're a Christian who's actually living out their faith actively. Who's, they're, they're really living this. They truly believe this. They truly do this. They're a normal Christian, but who can teach. Deacons, just pull the teach part out. They're just a normal Christian that actually believes this stuff, that lives this out on a daily basis. They are a Christian. This is a godly example of normal Christian character. Two, this, is, this, is, this was one of the most fruitful parts of my study personally for me, and, I, and I, I hope you'll catch this. What do deacons do? They wait table. You know what our deacons did this morning? They hauled those chairs in. Big old Bryce. I mean, Bryce, he's, he's actually home. I think, Bryce, you've already left. He's, he's, his wife is sick. Be praying for her. She's, she's ill. He was in here. Big old beast bodybuilder Bryce was in here crating all these chairs in that you sat in. Almost single-handedly. There was, there was a couple other guys. And I mean, he was just busting these chairs in here. That's what our deacons do. Why does he have to not be double-tongued to use a chair dolly? I'm pretty sure on the instructions from Home Depot, it did not say, if somebody's double-tongued, don't let them touch the chair dolly because it's going to blow up. Uh, do you get what I'm saying here? They watered the trees in the parking lot all summer long. You remember August and September? Oh, wait, and October and November. We haven't had any rain. They watered these trees. I mean, they created hoses to all these trees out here all around this property. What does that have to do with not being greedy for dishonest gain? And I want to tell you, it has everything to do with it when it's in the church. Absolutely everything. Character counts in leadership. Um, most of y'all know, I just finished my PhD, I'm graduating here in three weeks, with my PhD in leadership. After every book I have read on that, one, very few people have any clue how to lead. Um, it's just when somebody does it, they've got it. That's great. But two, what they do know, all the studies, all the scholars out there on this, leadership is not just about what you do. It's much, much more about who you are. So for our deacons to be watering these plants out there, they're doing this out of a love for Christ and then out of a love for you as the congregation. And that requires character. And if you don't have that character, three things are going to happen. You're going to get bitter. You're angry. Mm. This other guy, water, he has an easier job than me and he's healthier than me. Prevents bitterness. Character prevents inequality. One of the reasons the deacons were began in Acts chapter 6, we'll read that very shortly here, is because of inequality. Some people were being taken care of better than other people who were in need. And if you don't have good godly character, you're going you're gonna to help the people who like you and who you like. 
Three, and most importantly, if you have true godly character, when you serve, it points people to Christ, not to yourself. Deacons are all about pointing to Christ, not to themselves. You know the hardest thing about getting deacons at this church? is the people who are most qualified think they're the least qualified and don't feel like they ought to serve. No, 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 I don't don't need a title. I just want to do this. No, 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 I I don't need the title. I don't need to be a deacon. I'll keep setting up the chairs. I'd love to call those folks out, but they'd beat me afterwards. That's why character counts. All right, so godly examples, normal character. Servant leadership still requires character. All right, now here's the point where I want everybody to just take a deep breath in and hold it for about three minutes because um, we've got to read something uncomfortable. Um, I need to read another passage to you. Uh, this is Romans chapter 1. Excuse me, Romans chapter 16, verse number 1. i got to mess with you all a little bit because um, I love you and I love the Scriptures even more. Romans 16.1 says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, and that word is deacon, of the church at Crenshia. The, the most literal way to translate this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Centuria. Anybody else ever noticed that scripture before? Anybody else notice a problem with that scripture? Sister Phoebe. Just in case you weren't sure if Phoebe was a boy or a girl, it says sister in there. That's in the Greek. Um, Let me read an old dead dude so you can get mad at him, not me. Um, This is Calvin. He, Paul, first commenced to them Phoebe, to whom he gave the epistle to be brought by them. So what was her job? She was carrying the letter. Think about this. The book of Romans. The heaviest doctrinal book in the New Testament gets delivered by a lady. All right. To whom he brought the epistle to be brought to them. And in first place, he commends her on account of her office. That's uncomfortable. For she performed a most honorable and most holy function in the church. And then he adduces another reason that we ought to receive her and show her every countenance. For she had always been a helper to the godly. And as she was an assistant to the Crenshian church, she bids that on all accounts she should be received in the Lord. And since it behooves us to embrace in love all members of Christ, we ought also to surely, we ought surely to regard and especially love and honor those to perform a public office in the church. If you like Calvin and you grew up in a Baptist church like me, you're squirming at this point. I, I, I love Calvin's. This is out of his commentary on the scripture. I have never served in a church that had women deacons. There are, I I didn't even know that existed, by the way, when I was a kid. All right. Um, There are two reasons churches have women deacons. Reason number one is because they don't care what the scripture says. And they think men and women are equal, mean the same, and there are no gender differences, and it doesn't matter. So if, if you can have one, you can have the other. And so who cares what the Scripture says? We're going to have women deacons. We're going to have women elders. We're gonna, uh, it, it just doesn't matter. 
the scripture actually presents a, a beautiful picture that the word is complementary, is what theologians use, that women and men are equal in worth and dignity, but they have different roles. And so if we're going to love the scriptures, we're going to reject that position of churches who have women deacons. But there's another kind of church that has women deacons. And that's not people who don't care about the scriptures. It's people who deeply care about the scriptures. And they can't get around that verse. They're deeply conservative, like Calvin. It doesn't get much more conservative than Calvin. Like um, Capitol Hill Baptist Church. If you went to Capitol Hill Baptist Church, let me just tell you, you'd be really grateful for Chad. Because their music stuff is bad. And let me tell you who you'd be really grateful for. Jeff Shaver that planned this sound system. Their sound system, I, I could figure out a better one than that. I mean, this church, they sing hymns. And you know what they do after that? They sing hymns. And I mean, conservatives, they have women deacons. Why? Because they can't get around that scripture. First Timothy, it seems like everything's about men, right? In those qualifications I read, scoot back with me. Ready? Deacons like mice must be dub dignified double tongue. This is all masculine in the Greek. You can tell male, female. It's all masculine. But then in verse 11, it says their wives likewise. All right, let me pull back to the Greek a little bit. Wives and women in Greek is the same word. It's the word gune. And that word there is not present in the Greek. It actually just says, wives, women, likewise. And look in verse 8. It says, deacons, likewise. It almost seems like, and if uh, I get nerdy when it comes to Greek and I like structure, it seems like Paul is structuring three things, not two. Not elders, deacons. It seems like he's structuring elders, deacons, and women. Um, second, if this is wise, do you realize our deacons have to be more qualified than our elders? Because there's no mention of wives of elders. But then here's the problem with that. Verse uh, excuse me, 12. It switches back, let deacons, and this is male, be the husband of one wife. Alright, so what in the world do you do with this? And you know what godly churches would do with it? They struggle with it because it's not overtly one thing or another. And I'm going to lay out four positions people take. All right. Position number one, I've already described two of you. Um, position number one is they ignore it. They just, no, 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 I didn't hear that. Position number two is they don't care what the scripture says. I've already talked to you about that. The, it doesn't matter. We're going to do what we want. We're going to follow the, the mores of culture. And we're going to, if we want women, we're going to have women deacons. If we don't, we don't. I mean, they don't care. I hope you would agree with me. Those two aren't options, right? To ignore the scriptures or to just forget the scriptures. But the third and fourth options, I think, are godly, scripture-honoring options. So, option number three is... Godly, godly men and women in godly, godly churches would say deacons have godly wives. And those godly wives are known as 
deaconesses. That's Phoebe. Her husband was a deacon. The qualifications and all that actually came from her husband, and we just happened to not know his name. He wasn't able to travel on this mission trip or whatever that Paul sent Phoebe on. There are godly, godly churches who come down there because this passage in Timothy, it's hard. It's not a slam dunk either way. Say, this is what we think. We think deacons are men and their wives are deaconesses. Option number four is, is the other option I talked about earlier is there are godly, godly churches led by godly, godly pastor men who do not have female pastors who would say, no, we think there are both men and women who have the office of deacon. Our church has officially been position number three. Deaconesses are the wives of deacons. But reality has been, you know where we've mostly been most of the time? Position one, number one, we've ignored it. You know what we need to do as a congregation? Not ignore it and not miss the godliness of the wives of our deacons. And we need to see them serving. Now, I, personally, I would feel comfortable serving in a church either three or four. It, 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 I could go either way, and I have, obviously. Um, but that's what the Scriptures say. And I hope everybody's squirming no matter what position you're in, because it's not, it, this isn't a dead set ringer. It's just not. But we need to be in a position that takes the Scriptures seriously. All right, we got to fly through. What do deacons do? This is number five on there. What do deacons do? They provide unity. This is Acts 6, 1 through 7. I'm going to read, um, read for you here. Excuse me. What do deacons do? Their roles, they provide benevolence. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, these are Greek speakers, arose against the Hebrews, they're Hebrew speakers, because their widows were being neglected in daily distribution. In other words, these widows were not getting food. So, the popular widows were getting food, the unpopular widows were getting hungry. And the Hellenists said, this is, wait a minute, this isn't right. Verse 2, the twelve summoned the full number of disciples together. It's not right we should give up preaching of the word of God to serve tables. In other words, the pastor said, we can't do this because we need to preach, but it's got to be done. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They set these before the apostles, and they have prayed and laid their hands on them. Okay, real quick. The congregation chose the apostles. Okay, all right. So you have the, the congregation is putting forth people. And then the pastor elders are confirming. They set them before the apostles. They prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We have church records of deacons making benevolence decisions all the way back to the 1540s. We have like their minutes. They are taking care of needs. First, they do benevolence. Second, they provide unity. Um, a great church, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, uh, a guy named Lehman, um, who we've quoted several times before, says deacons are the shock absorbers of the church. All right, you're bouncing down the road, you hit a bump. If you didn't have a shock absorber, you're going to feel it, right? 
The, the deacons provide that cushion. They are out there on the front lines in the congregation saying, what's going on? Why, why are y'all fighting? What, what is this gossip? We've we got to stop. They are the ones providing the unity and fighting for that unity. Those are shock absorbers. In Acts 6, they were making things right between two ethnic groups that were fighting within the congregation. Um, one, there were two ethnic groups. That should be pointed out to us all alone. But then we wanted them, they wanted them to be equal and unified, and the deacons were the source of that unity. All right, so they're shock absorbers. They provide unity. Three, they free the elders to pray and to preach. So rather than Joe Chad and I sitting out here and watering these, Plants. The deacons are out here doing that while we're in there studying God's word, preparing sermons, teaching times, all that kind of stuff. Um, let me point out on this that the elders lead and the deacons accomplish. This, the deacons are not a second decision-making body. Some people have occasionally compared the two offices of the church to the House and the Senate. All right, two decision-making bodies in balance. That's not biblical. The elders lead and the deacons accomplish. The deacons get the work done. Um, they do logistics like facility maintenance, setting up the Lord's Supper, making sure that um, <laughs> the heater works. That One of our deacons, that is his job. HVAC. He, he is the deacon OHVAC. When we were over in there, we had the deacon of the trailer. That was an official position at our church. I kid you not. It was really important. All right. Fourth thing deacons do, deacons share the gospel. You know who the first person to be killed for witnessing about Jesus was? Stephen, right? You know what his job was, right? Deacon, not pastor, not apostle. He was a deacon. I'll read you about another deacon. This is uh, about Philip in Acts 8, uh, verses 4 and 5. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip, again, one of these first deacons, went to the city of Samaria, Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So what's a deacon's job? It's to preach the gospel. It's to evangelize. All right. I have a couple things for you. I want to read you two statements. One is from Capitol Hill. This is Mark Dever. He says it this way, and I'm just going to try to put a big bow on everything really quick. Staff who are elders, so you got staff, elders, deacons, congregation. What is all this mix? He's going to try to put it in one statement. Staff who are elders then are responsible both for setting vision for the church as elders and for implementing that vision as staff. Staff who are not elders are not responsible for setting vision or direction for the church. They are responsible for carrying out their part of the vision of the elders. In other words, they're not figuring out what to do. They're figuring out how to do it. The elders decide where the church goes because they are the men whom the congregation has recognized as having the spiritual maturity to make those kinds of decisions. The staff, they drive the bus in order to get us all there because they're the ones who are released from secular employment to minister full-time and equip the saints for the work of ministry. Deacons, they make sure we got gas in the bus. All right? So, elders, where are we going? Staff, we'll drive. Deacons, yeah, let's stop by the Philip 66. And make sure there's gas in the bus. Let me read you. This is Veritas Church. It's a Southern Baptist church in uh, Columbus, Ohio. 
Jesus Christ is the head of our church, both locally and universally. Our leaders seek to follow him in every action, word, and choice they make for Veritas. The elder pastors work under Jesus, taking responsibility for the spiritual growth and leadership of the body through prayer, teaching, and vision. The deacons and staff work under the elders in specific church ministries, carrying out the mission of the gospel as lead servants. Boy, I love that line right there. The deacons work as lead servants. They're not the only servants. Remember, we're all little D deacons. The members carry out the mission of the gospel to Columbus and beyond. So what do we do? Receive the service of Christ. Jesus is your deacon. He served you and is serving you too. Serve your brothers and sisters. Be a little D deacon. Three, support and pray for your deacons. Um, specifically, the deacons have nominated to you four men to serve next year. Um, pray about these men. They're, they're listed in your bulletin there. Um, I'll let you all read through that and pray through them. But pray about these four men as to whether these are the deacons to serve you for the next three years. And pray for your deacons. When they ask for help, you know what you should do? That's not rhetorical. Do you know what you should do? Help them. Okay. Fourth, seek servant roles, including the office of deacon. I am so happy to tell you, I had a guy come up to me two weeks ago after Joe's sermon on the qualifications and elders and say, I aspire to that. Don't you remember his wording? Aspire to that. I aspire. I want that. And I'm not there. And that made my month. Aspire to this office. Want this and desire this. But not just to try to get there, but because you have this heart of service. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. And Lord, I pray for every person here. Lord, I pray for um, anyone who may not be a, a believer here. I was just checking this out and figuring this all out. This probably was not the most um, exciting sermon to them. And, and I know that. But Lord, I pray that even then in, in this, that they would see that Jesus, you are a servant. You take the burdens off of our heart. You bore our sin on the cross. Lord, I pray that they might trust you. Lord, I pray for those who are um, struggling. Lord, I pray that we would serve them. And I pray for those who whom may be a little content in a bad way, not content with what you've blessed us with, but content to just sit and not serve. And I, I pray that you would help us to get off of our seats and serve our congregation, our brothers and sisters. And Lord, we do pray for our deacons. We pray for the men nominated. Lord, that, that if these are the men you would have to serve, that you would confirm that in each of our hearts. God, help us and walk with us this week. In Jesus, your name, amen.